Hopefully we've got somebody set up. Each step I take. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer recognizing your great power, recognizing your ultimate plan for us, Father, was put in place way before the beginning of time. And we thank you, Father, for revealing that plan to us in your word. We thank you, Father, for giving us the hope, for giving us the promise of eternal life with you. We thank you especially, Father, for your Son, who gave up everything to come to this earth and sacrifice himself for our sins. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Help prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. We'll sing, By Christ Redeemed. By Christ redeemed in Christ restored, we keep the summer of the world and show the Take of the bread and the fruit of the vine. Let's think about what this what this prophecy meant. Hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross, Isaiah wrote, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that 
which they have not heard, they understand. Let's pray. Father, we know this prophecy is about your Son, Jesus Christ, and about the sacrifice that he made just hours before he was marred beyond anything that, that humans had ever seen before. He instituted this memorial. He said, take and eat. This is my body. As they broke the bread and took it. So, Father, help us to, to remember that, to remember you and his sacrifice that you made by allowing him to, to be subject to such a, such a death so that we could have our relationship with you restored. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we know that after the meal where he inaugurated the, the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper, he took the cup and he said, take this and drink it. He explained that it represented the blood of the new covenant that he was about to institute. Help us to, to remember that and our hearts to receive it as you intend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whenever we meet together, we have the opportunity to share some of the blessings that the Lord has blessed us with, material blessings, so that we can bless others, both in this congregation and in the community and really throughout the world as we, as we use some of those funds to, to spread the gospel in far places. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that each one of us will be generous in the way that we give and that we'll be uh, mindful of the good work that, that anything that we can give will do. Lord, we pray especially for, for the ones who are working hard here in our community to, to spread the gospel and those abroad that we support as well. <clears throat> help us to help them, encourage them to do what we can so that your word is spread, so that your kingdom is spread, both here and abroad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pick this song tonight, because I think he's talking about Jonah, and this is the perspective Jonah eventually came around to with a little prodding. Go ahead, if you're uh, able, please stand. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to
Caught me humming a little bit there, didn't you? All right, so we're in our series on the prophets, and yes, we're in Jonah, one of my absolute favorite prophets of all the prophets, one of the probably one of the most powerful prophets, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, powerful. You can learn a lot of lessons from Jonah. Not all the lessons are great lessons. Actually, sometimes some of the most powerful lessons you'll receive is what not to be versus what to be. And unfortunately, in some ways, that's exactly who Jonah was. Before we get started, though, I want you to think about the idea that even these great people in the Bible, we know they had their own personal struggles with sin. But Jonah is a great example of somebody who is, they're at a crossroads where what they want from the world, what they're hoping for to see in a grand scheme is completely different than what God's about to provide. And there's a real wrestle with that. So, whoa, it's a little jumpy, saw that? That was one touch. Anyway, um, I don't know if the batteries, are, the batteries are good. Okay. So we start at the very beginning. Jonah was a prophet, and he's hearing the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord is telling him to arise and go to Nineveh. And what is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. He says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. These are not people that Jonah likes. This part's obvious. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You see how that's written? Do you see the emphasis? He keeps saying Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Why? Because he's literally going the opposite way of where he's supposed to be going. He's supposed to be going to Nineveh. Not a chance. I'm going to Tarshish. I go to Joppa to go to Tarshish. I go to Tarshish. I get on a ship to go to Tarshish. Tarshish. And then we get to that part that Jonah's famous for. As he gets on the ship and they head out to sail... Jonah's down in the ship, sleeping. And God sends a great wind and a great storm. A great storm to the point that the sailors, the mariners, the, the, the guys who work on the ship, live on the ship, live on the water, they are doing what you would expect them to do before the ship goes under. They're throwing out the cargo. They're praying to their gods. They're freaking out. Because it is certain death that they are experiencing. They don't expect the ship to hold up. They don't expect the uh, they don't expect to make it through the night, really. And the captain is going through the ship, and of course. Jonah's sleeping, you know, this always reminds me a little bit of Jesus in the time where he's in the storm and everybody's, it's the same thing. The guys who lived on the water, the fishermen, the Peters in the boat are, they're freaking out. They think they're going to die. And here's Jesus sleeping in the, in the boat. Here's Jonah at the same time sleeping in the boat. And here comes the captain. He's like, Hey, wake up. What are you doing? You better pray to your God because we're probably going to die. Not the best time to be sleeping. We're probably going to die. He says, arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And I want you to understand that there's a lot going on on the ship. Everybody's not praying to Yahweh. 
There are people praying to all kinds of gods. And even the captain, he's a man that's going through. He's just saying, I don't know what God you worship. I don't know what God you serve. But now would be a great time to pray to him. And Jonah starts to put something together for everybody. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because, well, before he decided to take his little cat nap, he kind of shared why he was on the boat with some of them. You know, it's funny. I don't know if, um, I don't know if I was taught this like growing up in VBS or what, but, but in my brain somewhere, I always got to this place where Jonah had this righteous moment. Is that how you remember it? Where Jonah had this righteous moment where he's like, hold on everyone. I know why this is happening. But that's not exactly how it happened. So he begins to tell them what's going on. They begin to talk about it. And the men try to get back to the dry land. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because at the end of the day, is Jonah going to Nineveh? No, if the boat gets back to dry land and Jonah gets off and starts to go on with his day, do you think he's really going to go to Nineveh? No, he's not going to Nineveh. Get it through and into an understanding that Jonah, the last thing he wants to do right now in his life is the will of God, what he was told to do. And he is heading the other way. And if the boat gets back to dry land, Jonah's not going to Nineveh. He's not going. Why would God use somebody like this anyway? I think it's an important question to ask in this part of the lesson. Why would God use someone like this anyway? Is there not another prophet? Is there not somebody else he could have talked to that actually would have been willing to go? Why did God use him? He's got a serious conflict. These are his enemies that God is asking him to go to. And the last thing he wants to do is save them from any imminent doom that they might be facing from the Lord. In fact, he's ready to see it happen. So as they try to fight the seas and the conditions, no way. God doesn't slow the seas down. God doesn't calm them. Jesus doesn't come out of somewhere and go, shh, be still. None of that happens. Every time they fight against it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Now imagine that they're doing everything they can. To, to fight the situation, to stop the situation. And then they throw Jonah overboard after they pray to God. Please don't let his blood be on our hands. We're not doing this by our own will. In fact, we've actually, the guys on the boat are pretty impressive. They're doing everything they can to keep everybody alive, even though they know that the issue is Jonah. And by the time they get to this place where, where um, they realize they're fighting against something that's not going to change, then they say, don't hold this against us. And when they do that, what happens? Yeah, what? Imagine being on the boat. Imagine being on the boat. You got all these people praying to all these gods, nothing's changing. You got Jonah, he's pretty much made it known. I'm the problem. 
He declares his God who made the seas and the dry lands. He declares him. And the second he's gone, crystal rivers. You ever seen waters calm down after a storm? It happens quick, but it doesn't happen in an instant. It's not normal. You take a rock and you throw it in a pond. Does it make one ripple or multiple ripples? This is the reality. But in this moment, gone. Has anybody ever seen this before? No. You've never seen that, have you? In the middle of a raging storm? It's going to sink giant ships to dead calm? They know something's happening. I don't want you to miss that. Everybody in the boat knows something is happening. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. See? The people on the boat from this moment are gaining faith. And they're gaining faith in the Lord that Jonah proclaimed. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, again, I don't know if this is my VBS brain or not, but... but I always have this in my mind that they throw him out and they're like, ah, oh, and then everything gets calm. And Jonah's like, see, I told you, I told you, it was me. And everybody's like, whoa, never saw that coming. And maybe that, maybe they saw it. Maybe they didn't. But you know what everybody knows in that moment? <laughs> that Jonah was left to die one way or another out in the middle of the sea. They're not at a distance where they can swim back. They're at a distance where just, just a short amount of time before they were lightening the load because they were ready for the boat to sink and the captain's running around telling everybody say your final prayers. That's where they're at. I don't know if they saw him being eaten by the fish or not, but don't forget that. They know. They left that man there. They left Jonah there to die. I love this part in chapter 2. Because I think this does give us a little bit of a background to, to what was happening. I don't know if you've ever seen an uh, image in a movie of someone that's like kind of slowly falling deeper and deeper into the water. But that's kind of the imagery that Jonah gives us here. He says, the water's closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. He's just falling deeper and deeper. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there was somewhere halfway through that where all of a sudden it didn't seem like we were talking about the ocean anymore, did it? Seemed like death. Seems similar to maybe condemnation. Whose bars closed upon me forever. You brought me, you brought up, you brought, yet you brought up my life from the pit. From the pit of what? Despair. Destruction. You imagine 
being Jonah in this moment, you're sinking down and you're thinking, this is it. Where do you think you're going? You know, as life begins to wane, it is very natural for every single person to think, what is next? What is my next destination? Where do you think you're going? To me, this is Jonah saying, I know where I thought I was going. I thought I was going to hell. This was it. I was done. My life was done. I had denied God. I went the exact opposite way of the way he told me to go. And this was it. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and, and my prayer came to you. He starts praying, probably begging for forgiveness, probably begging for a second chance. Wouldn't you if you were in his situation? God, just give me a chance. I'll go. I'll go. You know, Lord, have to admit, that's kind of being a little stubborn. Not really excited about the way this is all ending. He says, I remember the Lord, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Don't you ever forget that too. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. We were talking about this in a different way on Wednesday night, but I want to bring it up one more time. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the most unbelievable part about it. You can be doing everything the wrong way and call to God, turn to God, have that real moment in your heart. And guess what? He takes you right back. He takes you right back. That's what he's looking for. That's the moment he's waiting for. Remember the prodigal son, the father standing on the porch. He sees the son from a distance. He goes running to him. That's the moment he's waiting for. Every single day he sat on that porch waiting for that moment. And as soon as he saw him coming back down the road, he's gone to meet him. That's God. That's God in this moment too with Jonah. And I want you to still just have that picture in your brain. Because this is all happening to Jonah as he's sinking, thinking, this is it. I've not obeyed the Lord. I'm going to my condemnation. I'm going to my punishment. And then verse 9, he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So it seems like in this moment also, he has this huge understanding, this huge turn back to God. Don't you think? Maybe God got his attention a little bit. Not just the people on the boat, but his too. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out to dry land. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I got a beautiful picture, but that's probably way cleaner than it looked. I'm going to be honest with you. You know how fish work? When they eat something, it slowly is digested because they swallow things whole. Most fish don't tear and bite and tear everything up into nice little edible pieces like you do when you're eating cookies at home. They swallow and the body slowly dissolves it and absorbs it. He's been sitting in that for three days. And then the fish just swims up to the beach. I love this picture because I don't think that's how it was at all. But it, it does make it nice and pretty. And throws him up. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. You know, did he take a shower? You ever think weird questions like that when you're reading scripture? Did he at least like rinse off? Or did he just go dripping? Do you think he smelled like fish? No, I'm serious. Do you think he smelled like fish? You ever catch a lot of fish and like fillet a lot of fish or clean a lot of fish? It takes, it's like, it's kind of like when you uh, go camping and you're around a fire and the next day you're like, huh, I still smell fire and you realize it's coming from your hair. It's the same with fish in your hands. 
All that stuff absorbs into your hands. And next thing you know, the next day you're, you've cleaned a lot of fish and you, you go to eat your salad and it feels like you're eating some sort of tuna Caesar or something. And that's the reality. Think you smell like fish? I know I'm being a little bit silly, but think about this. He didn't go the other way this time, though, did he? Got to give him credit for that. He didn't go the other way this time. He went to Nineveh. Now, you would think, again, that he's had this huge change of heart. He's had this moment, this come to Jesus moment at this time, too. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It takes three days journey to go through the entire city. Now, stop. Pause. Time out. Remember, remember Elijah? Remember the studies we did on Elijah? When Elijah had to tell something to a country, who'd he go to to talk to the, about whatever God was telling him? Who'd he go to? I'll give you a hint. The king. He went to the king. That's good. That's exactly where he went. He went to the king. Where's Jonah go? Did he go to the king? No. Okay. Um, where's, where's the town square typically in a city? Where's the market? Where does everybody usually go? Isn't it usually in the middle and then everything gets built around it so that no matter which side of the city you live on, it's still kind of similar walk? Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, you don't take a mall and put it on the edge of the city. You put it somewhere in the middle so that you have a better chance of drawing everybody to you. Did Jonah ever get to the middle of the city? Does he ever get to the middle of the city? Does it say he went a day and a half exactly to the town square? Did it say that? No. It says it takes three days to get through. He goes walking through it for a day. He delivers his message like this. Hey, by the way, guys, God said turn or burn. I'm out of here. Um, wish I didn't even have to be here as long as I was. That's sort of the impression you get with Jonah. He doesn't go to the king. He doesn't even get to the middle of the city. It's right there. It says Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet yeah, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What a message, huh? I mean, seriously. How much more of a message did they even get? You know, I think about Peter in Acts chapter 2. He preaches a whole sermon. He gives people lots of things to think about. And go through the list of all the prophets. Did Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the great prophets who... who um, told Israel and Judah of the doom, the imminent doom that was coming for them if they did not turn. Did they all just say it like that? Hey, y'all got 40 days. If something don't change, I'm sorry. Sorry about your luck. No, that's not what they did at all. They had these whole elaborate things. Do you think that God might have given them more of a message? I don't know. I don't want to say that, that um, Jonah was a false prophet or a prophet that didn't tell the whole story. Well, he certainly doesn't give them much. I want you to remember this, though. Just like we had Jonah sleeping in the boat, Jesus sleeping in the boat, we got 40 days. Is that ringing a bell for anybody? And the people of Nineveh believed God. Some guy walks in. Somebody nobody, none of y'all know. Somebody who's an enemy from a culture of an enemy of yours. And says, y'all got 40 days to clean this up or else you're going to be overthrown. And everybody listens. Has to be more than that, doesn't it? There has to be more to it than that, doesn't it? How about this? All Jonah had to do was show up. Why? 
Because the last time everybody saw Jonah, where was he? He was in the sea, left for dead. They had just thrown him out of the boat. Remember? Storm, no storm. Storm, no storm. Storm, no storm. Remember that? What we don't understand, what we don't get from this, but you have to see it, is that people were already talking about this. There was three days for that to spread, and it had spread, and people, like I said, did he smell like fish when he walked in? Was he oozing? People knew who he was. People knew he shouldn't have been there, but he was. And people knew the God that he proclaimed before he ever got there. And it was a sign. It was a sign to those people. <clears throat> they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Can you imagine being in a gigantic city? Let's just say even Titusville, 60,000 people, that's pretty big. Imagine everybody coming to the same conclusion in one moment. Wouldn't that be powerful? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Wouldn't you want to rejoice in the Lord if you were part of that and seeing that and experiencing that? All these people living for themselves turned to God in a moment in probably the shortest sermon of all time. 40 days, turn it around, guys. 40 days, turn it around. Right? It would have been amazing. The word reaches the king, not because Jonah took it to him. The word reaches the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The king repents publicly. Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine some of our greatest politicians repenting and confessing Jesus publicly. Think that might start a little bit of a revival? That will be something. He issues a proclamation published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. He's commanding a fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. You know what this makes me think of? The only thing I can remember is, um, I, don't, I don't know if, you guys ever saw any of the video that was coming out, especially in South America? I was thinking most specifically Brazil. But when the COVID stuff first came out and everybody was in sheer panic, I don't know if you ever saw this or not, but there were entire cities in Brazil that would come out to the streets at certain times of the day and they would all pray to God at the same time. Entire cities. It was amazing. And that's what they did. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They don't even know if this is going to work. Don't miss this point. Because this is the opposite of Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah are told over and over and over, turn and I will come back. Turn and everything will be okay. These people, they've just been told, y'all got 40 days to clean this up. Good luck. The king is in a place where he's like, hey, hopefully this will help. And they do it. When God, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They were saved. What a hero, right? What a hero Jonah is. He saves Nineveh. Uh-oh. You know the last chapter, don't you? <laughs> Uh-oh. I just, seriously, I'm only going to do this one more time, but just try to put yourself in that place. 
where you're watching God work in a way that's moving an entire people. I think it'd be amazing just to see everybody come to a, a, a beautiful moment together here. Just a couple hundred of us. Wouldn't that be amazing? This is a town that takes three days to walk through. What? Don't you think Jonah should have been like walking out like, ah, ah. that's not who he was. It's not who he was at all. In fact, chapter four starts like this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. You know, he knew it. He knew it. He knew this was going to happen before he ever left. And he said, you know what? If this is going to happen, if I go that way, then I'm going, I'm going that way. And this speaks so much to hatred, doesn't it? The evil of hatred, the evil of letting it come to a place with anybody in your life to where you absolutely, you just hate them. And even though you know, even though you know God is doing something in their life, God can use you to do something in your life. The last thing you're going to do is let God let, you know, you're, you're not going to be that guy. You're just not going to be him. That's Jonah. He hated Nineveh. He knew this was going to happen, which is why he went the other way. And then when he gets there and it does happen, he leaves mad at the world. It's hate. And then he says this, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you think in this moment he was even thinking about himself? Should I go back to chapter 2 and read it for you again? Seems like that moment he had sinking in the water didn't have the same type of effect in chapter 4 after everything happened. That's what it seems like to me. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. I just want to die. For it is better for me to die than to live. I'm serious. Does this sound like the type of reaction you would have had if you just had this experience? When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than how many people? Double Titusville. Who do not know their right hand from their left and also... Much cattle. That's not supposed to be blank, but it's okay. Again, I want to say this. This whole thing shows how dangerous it is to allow hate for people to come into your heart. You know what I see? I see Jonah, a man of God, who allowed hate for people to have him miss the entire point. Not only that, not only miss the point, but he also, he didn't even have the right emotion. He missed one of the most amazing experiences to ever happen in the Bible. 
ungodly, unholy people turn into God. 120,000. How many were baptized on the day of Pentecost? Was it 120,000? Not even close. And yet, imagine being there. He missed it. He missed it. And by the way, again, before I get to the next slide, I want to just have this moment with you. He didn't even go and do an amazing job. He didn't even go once he got the opportunity. He didn't even go and put his full heart into it. Remember when Jesus said this? Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now let me, let me, let, hold on. Was no sign given but the sign of Jonah? In other words, Jesus was going to be buried for three days and rise? Was that the only sign that was given to the people who lived during the time of Jesus? Was that their only sign? No. Did he do a whole bunch of miracles? Did he do things that divide, uh, uh, defied um, logic and reason? Did he do things that nobody could explain? Of course he did. Some of the Pharisees themselves who were asking for this sign were the same ones that used the miracles he, he was doing and saying, he's getting his power from Satan. You see, it was right there in front of them and they missed it. It's, it's the same thing that Jonah had at Nineveh. Don't miss it. There's a lot more going on than just three days in the tomb and I'll rise and that's the sign of Jonah. No, no, no. There's more to it. He says, you're an evil and adulterous generation. You seek a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Whoa. It all comes full circle. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. The amazing miraculous depth of the preaching of Jonah. No. But they still repented. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It says you look for a sign. Those people smelled the fish, knew the story, Knew he shouldn't have been alive. Knew he shouldn't have been there. Knew the God that he professed. Knew that when they threw him in, the waters went calm. Knew that when he got there, his heart wasn't even into it. He didn't even go halfway into the city. Didn't talk to a king. Go through the list of things we've already explained. And at the end of the day, they still repented. They didn't even know if they were going to have salvation. They still repented. He says, and yet you still look for a sign that something greater than Jonah stands in front of you right now. Are you still looking for a sign? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood? Have you been buried and resurrected yourself through baptism to start a new life in the kingdom of God? For those of us who have, are we allowing hate into our heart? Are we allowing bitterness to cloud our judgment? Are we allowing resentment of God's will to keep us from seeing all the blessings in front of us? Are we acting like Jonah? Or are we being like Jesus? Where are you at tonight? There's a need to respond to the invitation tonight. Everything's ready. And we can do that. If you come forward as together we stand and sing.
Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm thankful Matt got a chance to talk about fish and a guy who preaches short sermons. I knew he had it in him. Uh, so <laughs> anyways, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, grab yourself a bulletin if you can. They're out front. Um, I'll give you highlights on some of the things that we got going on and such. Um, I'll start with this morning. This morning Matt preached on deacons. The, the qualifications of a deacon, the role of a deacon, the work of a deacon. Uh, there's no secret. We uh, we're going to look for more deacons. So we're going to we'll get back to you on that. But we're going to we're going to look for more deacons. We've got plenty of work to do, and we need to spread that around. We need uh, qualified men to lead those ministries, because that's really what it is. It's a, it's a ministry to take care of the church, and uh, we're going to we're searching for men to do that. So you're part of that. Um, in the bulletin coming up this week, tomorrow is food pantry. On Tuesday night, we got an elders, deacons, minister meeting at seven o'clock back here. So we got that going on. And Thursday night, well, not Thursday night, but Thursday at lunch, the senior adults are going to Pier 62. I think it's a disco club or something. <laughs> it's a restaurant. It's a restaurant. It's a restaurant at Cocoa Beach Pier. I was just looking at their menu. And they got some really nice stuff on there. Uh, Poke bowl. Duck. Kaha Mai Tacos, with some kind of pineapple slaw and just about anything you wanted into it. Um, they had some unique stuff and some normal stuff too. So uh, that'd be an interesting trip. Hope you had all enjoy that. It's on the Cocoa Beach Pier. It's always pretty on the beach, uh, unless it's storming, but you know, usually it's good. So have a good time with that. Uh, next week is Mother's Day. Don't forget, most of us will, though maybe we won't, but what? <laughs> We all looked at me like that. It's a big week for us. It's Grant's graduation. It's our uh, anniversary, I think, and Mother's Day, too. So, anyways. Um, on the 24th, there's a salute to Gene Eggy down at the uh, Melbourne. The Melbourne Municipal Band is going to be at the Melbourne Auditorium performing some of the music that he wrote. Uh, Gene was one of us, uh, as you know. That'll be an interesting night. I know one of the singers will be Sally from the Lawrence Wilkes show. She sang at his funeral. That ought to be a good time. I think we're talking about getting a bus together to go, even though it's a Wednesday night. But anyways, I think some are going to go on a bus. Um, Widowhood Workshop, July 21st and 22nd in Laverne, Tennessee. Dean Miller leads that ministry, and they have a, work, uh, a retreat every summer. If that appeals to you, look into it. Uh, Jackie Smith has talked highly of that. Nora Jean Nall has talked highly of that. There are people that follow his ministry wherever he goes. Uh, when he was here three years ago, um, it was a really good thing. We still talk about a lot of the things that he talked about. Uh, Camille and I ran into him at Laz Leaders uh, last month. Uh, still an encouraging guy and still thinks highly of North Brevard. Um, pantry, we're collecting spaghetti and spaghetti sauce. Don't knock yourself out with the big size spaghetti sauce. You know, dollar store size is, is a good thing. We can hand out more of them that way. One pound box of spaghetti, small, small jar of sauce. Got a thank you card from Rita. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, just want you all to know that I appreciate all the thoughts, prayers, and cards. Thank you, Rita Smith. Um, Vacation Bible School, 
We have Vacation Bible School coming on the calendar, June 14th through the 16th, in the evening, 6 to 8.30. Um, we'll have the Double Strength Kool-Aid, okay? We have Glenda's Recipe. We will have Double Strength Kool-Aid. Somebody, Susan White, will have a red arm clear up to the elbow. Maybe not. Susan says she will not mix it with her arm. Ah. We will have the Kool-Aid, though. Tommy gave Tommy, Tommy gave us 100 bucks to buy cookies and Kool-Aid. So, ain't no way around it. It's going to happen. And remember the secret key word to VBS is snickerdoodles. Edith reminds all the ladies next week wear hats. For Mother's Day, wear hats. They do that every year, so do that. Um, the sad news about Nancy Page. Nancy Page passed away uh, last night. Um, Nancy Page, the Pages have been members here for a very, very long time. Uh, it's, it's been built on uh, sweat equity. You want to talk about sweat equity? The Pages have a lot of sweat equity in this building. Uh, Don with some of the AV systems, some of the just the, the maintenance of the building and such. But Nancy taught the four and five year old class, I know, for 50 years. Uh, that's a long time. Um, even beyond what she could teach, she would still walk in the door and she'd go that way. That she didn't know to go any other way. That was the way she went. So we're thankful for Nancy's faith. Uh, she's passed that on to kids for two generations. So, you know, quite honestly, there may be people here who are grandparents that came out of her class. So we're thankful for the faith that she had. Um, I understand that the funeral will be Friday, is where it stands right now, with no fellowship meal. Don doesn't want a fellowship meal, so uh, that's on, what I understand is the requests are at this time. So, uh, Bob Caddy was in Paris this week with internal bleeding. Oh, let me read a note from Carol. Let me pull that up on my phone real quick, just to get the words right. Apologize for that. Oh, we may need food to take Don. Yeah, she'll let him know. I know Don is a celiac, so no gluten and stuff. So let's just I'll throw that out there. Um, so Carol's going to let Betty know, and we may overload him with food. More than he'll eat in 500 years, probably, because that's how we do things. So uh, Carol's words, Nancy Page passed away last night. She is finally free. Thank you, everyone, who came by to see her and encourage my dad. He's been, he has been and is extremely distraught. Please continue to keep him in mind and prayers because he is very lost without her. Uh, they were married for nearly 70 years, I think. Um, they met as kids. Uh, she was 92. Don's 90. It's a long, long, long time. Um, my understanding is he's distraught enough to kind of been cautioned to give him space. And that's, that's probably a good caution, give him a little space. Um, lost is probably a good word for Don right now. I couldn't imagine. So, anyways, pray for Don. Pray for him and Carol and uh, Janet and Robert and one more sister. Donna, that's it, Donna. Okay, anyways, pray for them too because I know they need it. Uh, Bob Caddy was in Parish this week with internal bleeding. I know he has left Parish. That's about all I know. He's not in Parish anymore. He may be cruising the highway. He may be at home. I'm not really sure, but he's Bob. It, it's Bob. It's possible he ran away. It's possible he got lost. It's it's Bob. So, uh, so anybody contacts him, you know, keep keep in touch with him. Brenda Scott. Brenda Scott is uh, no longer mobile. She's stuck at home. Uh, she's no longer walking and such. Um, she misses and loves her church family. She wants everybody to know that. So uh, pray for Brenda. Um, she's in not good condition either. That's about it. All right, so Wednesday night, Matt's going to talk about Hebrews, not Hebrews, Romans. Why, why did I say Hebrews? Same book, isn't it? Is it the same guys? I'm confused. The Hebrews in Rome. <laughs> okay, it's Romans. We're going to finish chapter 4 or move into 5? Five? Into four and move into five. He said to save time, he's not even making slides on five because you're supposed to have it memorized by now. That's what he said the other night. So, in here. Join us. It's always a good time. One word answers, right? One word answers. Keep him on his toes, right? Uh, bring up some weird stuff. It's always a good time. So, join us here if you can. It, like I said, it's a good time. So, thank you all. Keep faithful.
Sweetly, Lord. Father, we're so thankful for all the many rich gifts in our life because we know all good things come from Thee. We ask that You be with those that have lost loved ones this week. Please strengthen them. Help them to know that they're loved and cherished by those here. Please be with those that are still sick. Give them back to their much-needed health, if it be Thy will. We ask that you go with us as we go our separate ways. Help us to stay healthy and happy so that we can make it, get, make it back again to the next appointed time. Please be with our number that are traveling and the ones that may be sick. Please go with us when we leave this place and help us to be strong and shine our light bright for the world to see. Give us the opportunity to be examples to the world. Help them to follow us here, to hear thy word. All this we pray in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. <clears throat> 